Welcome to the First Intuition Podcast. My name is David Malthouse and tonight I am down. I am joined by Kelly O'Donovan. Hello, Kelly. Hello, Dave. Welcome to this evening's podcast, everyone who's listening live, and hello to our listeners who are listening to this later on. And you were on the show last week, Kelly, weren't you, with Ben? I was. I was lucky enough to be on the show with Ben last week. He is away on holiday this week, so I get the pleasure of joining again. Excellent. Yeah, he's off in Florida, and I will be off on holiday very shortly as well. And we have a guest with us today, the same guest we had last week. So welcome to the show, Lucy. Hi, Dave. Hi, Kelly. Thanks, everybody, for having me back again. Glad I didn't uh, make too much of a hash of it last week. And it's a pleasure to be back again. And how have you enjoyed your seven days of fame since you appeared on the on the podcast? Well, it was hard to get into my office this evening to uh, to, to do this because my head would barely fit through the door. I'm just, you know, swanning around. Yes, you might have heard me from such places as the FI podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Now, we have a theme today that was put forward by one of our teams. So the, one of our teams said, could we do an episode on overthinking? Um, so we've assembled a panel here to, to look at what overthinking is and how it can impact us personally, how it can impact students and things like that. And um, one of the things that I do need to just talk about from, to start with is that overthinking is something that can, can be rooted in some kind of psychological issues. It can also be something that can trigger psychological issues. So if it is the case that you're suffering from things like anxiety or depression, I just want to say that Kelly, Lucy and I are not psychologists. We're not medical experts. And if it is the case that, that you are suffering from one of those things, we would urge you to, to look at the appropriate type of uh, advice. We will put some links on the show notes. So if it is something that you want to check in with, then I advise you to go there. So we're looking at um, overthinking from the perspective where we've seen it and, um, and where we've kind of recognised it with our students. Um, isn't that right, Kelly? Yeah, that's right, Dave. So I'm sure we're all going to be able to reflect on times where we have suffered from elements of, of overthinking and things that we have learned on a personal level to help overcome some of those challenges as well. Excellent. So when we talk about overthinking, I, I kind of think it's useful to break it down into, into two elements. Into We can sometimes overthink by really focusing on those things that have happened in the past and almost build them up to be something more than they were so have, have you had experience of that Lucy? Oh, massively <laughs> as a as a general pastime thinker I am great at overthinking um, certainly it's really hard to take a situation from the past and um, not project it into the future if you're in any way um, inclined to get inside your head I think we think about sort of a common core that everybody here and everyone listening has got and it's the experience of taking exams you know if you have an exam and it doesn't go the way you wanted it to you don't get the outcome you were hoping for and you have to do a reset and you're coming to that a second time it's hard not to project that failure the first time onto that potential outcome the second time and you can get yourself into a, a bit of a negative cycle that's certainly somewhere I've been um, and in that situation you need to go right I'm overthinking I need to pull myself out of overthinking and put myself in proactive thinking rather than like oh what if what if what if think about 
How am I going to get the outcome that I desired? Where did I go wrong before? What can I pull apart from this? What learnings can I take forward? And what can I do differently? So you, you reframe it in your mind and, and push forwards kind of more proactively. That's more helpful than going round and round and round and worrying about having the same repeat again. And ultimately, if you get the same mistake a second time, well, there's always another bite of the cherry. So um, yeah, I've, I've have had that with, with exams that I've had to do resits on. Um, what about you, Kelly? Been there? Yeah, no, I, th- I think for me, where, where you care about what you do and you care about advancing, you know, your career, you care about doing a good job. I know I'm very much someone who will reflect and can kind of dwell on a situation that's happened. So maybe like something that's happened at work, you've had perhaps a difficult situation, maybe with a customer that you've been dealing with or a colleague or a staff member. So as quick as you move up into management, there's a lot of you know learning that you that takes place by doing. And we do make mistakes as, as managers. And for me, it's I keep replaying that situation in my head and kind of thinking about, oh, you know, what I should have done differently, how I could have handled it in a better way. And that almost over irrational worrying about what other people think of you as a result as well. And and that's something that I'm not perfect at. Uh, I think it has got a bit better, but it is about trying to, trying to re trying to reframe it and saying actually if it didn't go how you wanted it to go right what could you do differently next time what can you learn from that situation I think someone told me recently things like feedback the way that you think about feedback is really important in mindset so actually seeing feedback as a gift rather than something that is is negative so a lot of reframing is important, I think, there where I'm dwelling on what has happened because you can't change it. And I know that's one of Dave's favourite phrases as well. It's like you can't go back in time and change it. But what can you change going forward? What about yourself, Dave? Anything that comes to mind when you think about those past issues of overthinking? Yeah, I think something both of you talked about was um, looking at those experiences and then identifying what you could do differently, which I think is really important, where something hasn't turned out in the way that you expected, the way that you wanted, whether it is something with managing your team, whether it's the way that you've dealt with a client, the way you dealt with a student, or how you performed in an exam. It's really important to understand what do I need to do differently to get a different outcome, but without dwelling for too long. And I think we've all seen people, and I think, Kelly and I, you, you and I have got a secret name for these people who are the people that will make a mistake and it will just wash over them and they will continue as if nothing has happened. It's like, it's not my fault. That thing went wrong. I'm not learning from it. I'm just going to plow on and do exactly the same thing. We sometimes say with students where students are unsuccessful in the exam, they immediately book a reset and they do exactly the same things that they did for the last exam, expecting to get a different outcome. So I think it is important. There's, there's almost kind of an underthinking there where I'm not even thinking about that thing that's happened. I'm just hopeful that by doing the same thing again, I'll get a slightly different outcome. And it did remind me when we were talking about this a, a little bit earlier, it is something that 
you had to remind me a little bit a while about Kelly, and I know I've spoken to you about it, where I will sometimes dwell when someone has done something that has annoyed me or irritated me, or someone has done something that I just maybe think is an attack on me, and I will think about it and I'll dwell on it and I'll get more and more upset and more and more angry about that thing that's happened because I continue to think about it. And what's the thing that you said to me, Kelly? I think it's actually something you've said to me in the past, which is when particularly when you're feeling angry about something that someone else has done, the only person that's feeling that anger or annoyance is is you I can see Lucy also uh, sort of smiling exactly right it you know like let's just take road rage for a second you know someone cuts you up on the road it really annoys you for the irrational reason that it just annoys you because you think it's obnoxious behavior uh but the only one still annoyed about it is you (laughs) they're like five meters further on than they were a second ago and and you're still sat there yeah it's it's uh you're the your own worst enemy in that situation I think that links as well Dave to what you talked about before with the you know thinking about what you can and can't control like you can't control someone else's bad driving but you can control how you choose to react to that situation yeah I agree it's it's something that's really hard to do though is identifying those things you can and can't control. Kind of walking into an exam, you failed an exam before, you can't control what's on that exam paper, but you can control the way that you prepare for it. So being scared of the exam is one thing, but that's almost irrational because you can't control that. Lucy? There's just a nice little thing. I'm going to throw throw back to my A-level psychology days. There was a really nice little thing that's always stuck with me, which is that if something's causing you stress or anxiety or you're overthinking or whatever, it's causing negative impact on you. You've got two options, baseline options. You either change the thing that's bothering you, i.e. chuck it in, pick a different career, don't bother with exams, or you change the way you view it. It's an opportunity to further yourself. It's a chance to take on a challenge and like keep going and build your resilience until you until you achieve what you want to. And, and ultimately, you, you've got to do that reframing. Oh, we keep saying it. It's all right. Oh, we need it on a T-shirt or a badge. I reframe things. Um, but you've got to do that. That's the only way you can really move forwards. And that's a lot of things. So that would come into the alternative view that you were saying, Dave, about you. There's two ways of thinking about the overthinking. There's the past. And then there's also that future. So things that haven't happened yet, worrying about going into the exam and failing it, and then trying to reframe those thoughts into, well, what can I do? And there's a nice little thing my mum's always said, which is if you can't, um, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And it's what you were saying about students that kind of repeat the process, hope for an alternate outcome. And that is, you can ruminate on it all you like, but unless you make a change, you're unlikely to see a change. So focus in, drill down on the things you can control, and then, you know, turn that worry, that overthinking into proactive action and do something about it. Because if you can cancel it out, you won't need to overthink it, won't need to be a worry. It's as simple as that. Yeah, absolutely, Lucy. And I know that it kind of links into mindset. So, um, I've been taking on sort of a a new role outside of FI part time 
And I remember going onto this project and before I had even started the project, because I knew what it was about, and I thought, well, that's not really my specialism. In my head, I'd already told myself that I couldn't do it. I'd already set myself up for failure. And what happened? Yeah, it wasn't great. I got upset. It was really stressful. And then at the end of it, I actually got to that point where you've just said there, Lucy, about I had two choices. One choice is say, actually, do you know, what? I never want to be put in that situation again. I'm just going to give up this project work that I'm doing on that I'm doing separately and just remove myself from that situation. However, because I reflected on it and thought, well, hold on, why did it why did it go wrong? you know, one, I'd already told myself I couldn't do it, which links to, you see that a lot with students, you know, you see it with the body language before they're waiting for the exam, they're, they, you know, the brain is impacting what's physically, you know, happening to them and vice versa. They're already telling themselves, oh, I'm not, I'm not very good at this paper. I find it really difficult. Um, it's going to be questions that I can't do. And then you go in there and then it's almost it manifests itself that all those questions that you think you can't do then come up. It was like this project, all the things I thought were going to be a challenge then were a challenge. And so I kind of reframed it and said, well, come on, Kelly, one, you didn't help yourself there Two, take it as a learning opportunity. What could you do differently next time? Um, and so I chose the actually I'm not going to remove myself, if you like, from that situation. I'm instead going to look at what can I change? And one, one of the things for me then is to not overthink what's about to happen or what's going to be happening, because you can't change what's going to be happening in the future. But you can change what you're telling yourself right now before you go into that project or that exam. Dave, anything to add on the future issues and that kind of future overthinking that sometimes happens? Our future overthinking is, is very much something is coming up in the future, whether it's, a, as you said, a new project, whether it's a new exam, whether it's something new at work, whether it's something new in your personal life. So something is going to happen and you just focus all your attention on that thing without actually getting engaged and, and going forward and doing anything. So we've seen students that have said, all right, my next exam is tax. That's a really big syllabus. And then a week later, it's a really big syllabus, isn't it? I haven't done any work. I've just spent the last week thinking about what a big syllabus it is. And big syllabus means it's really hard to get into, to make a start on. And the longer you put it off, the more you build it up to being this massive mountain that you've got to climb, the harder it is to make that first step. So we see it quite a lot in those kind of contexts. I don't know, Lucy, have you, have you come across things like that before? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I could I could talk on the other side of it actually, um, because I I have to submit. Well, I have a I have a, a, a limited company, and I also have some sole trader work as well. So I've got different year ends. I've got different accounting dates for different things, um, and um, I find it enormously hard to embark upon the doing of like preparing those end of year accounts always just getting going is incredibly hard um once you're in it uh, you think oh god why did I put this off or why did I faff about with this um this is where if you listened last week you'll know I, I'm doing this task alongside a Toblerone so you know I, I nudge myself along one triangle at a time but uh yeah 
on the other side of what you're doing is is people such as myself who are also at the end of the day struggling to to get going on whatever it is we've got to do and that you know I'm to, I'm going to piggyback onto that comment that you made Kelly about your sideline project because I remember that incident I remember talking about that at the time live when it, when the situation was going down for you and then also after time and this is where I want to kind of flag up that there's not sometimes you can think on things for uh, a considered amount of time as long as you are not I mean I would define overthinking and again as Dave said at the beginning we've no qualifications in this we are not medical professionals it's just how I would define it in my own mind would be something where you really can't move past it you're stuck you're going round and around you don't resolve an issue you move forwards versus what I think you did Kelly really admirably because it was a huge uh, project to undertake massive personal challenge could have been a stumbling block that would have very easily been excusable should you have thrown to throw in, throw in the towel but you move beyond it and that's because of I think um, healthy personal reflection and I think spending time analyzing and reflecting and and going deep into the root of the issues like why do I not want to do this or what is it that I've, I've found difficult I think that deep thinking as long as you're moving forwards and you're making progress with that thinking then that is positive and I think that's what you did there I, I remember like walking that mile with you really and um and, and thinking like it was incredible feat of reframing and overcoming it um so yeah I think sometimes deep thought perfectly fine overthinking getting stuck ruminating preventing yourself from moving on not as positive it's hard because it takes it takes time and it's taken you know sort of you know I'm not sure 10 15 years ago I would have been able to do that either now I know we've sort of spoken before Lucy where you know yes although you are a strong person you're very organized highly motivated but actually it hasn't always been as easy as that has it and actually overthinking is kind of taking you down a, a path that's maybe not so positive so I don't know if you wanted to sort of share Share yeah, definitely. Share some of that with us. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I don't want to over half con about COVID because we've all heard just about enough about it. But um, during COVID, I talked last time that we met about uh, how the business had to be really agile. First of all, I mothballed it. And then I had to really face up to the reality of moving it online. And I had to navigate the challenges of my staff, my students. Um, maintaining positive outcomes in the face of continual restrictions and then when we came back face to face the the um, umbrella by which we were we were having to work beneath was so difficult it made the actual product that we put out there almost insurmountably difficult to continue to run. Um, I talked last time about going into lockdown with a thousand students when we basically lost anybody over the age of 12. They just didn't come back. They sat down, found remote control and didn't get back up and dance again afterwards. They're kind of a lost generation. It hurts my heart a bit really on a personal level for all those kids, but numerous little ones, but the business overnight shrunk by 50%. And um, I kept going, 
had to keep peddling, had to keep driving the business forwards. It was all about, you know, maintaining the bottom line, making sure that I was uh, being agile in my decision making, decisive to, to on a monthly month to basis, on a month to month basis, sorry, trying to be agile enough to safeguard the business, keep as many jobs as possible and look at trying to grow it in a really difficult climate. Then, of course, um, we had the end of furlough. And on that one day, 76 families gave notice to leave. And email after email after email was the difficulty of their personal situation. They just learned they didn't actually have a job. They were having to stop everything, hope to be back, all of that malarkey. Um, was really tricky. And every time the phone rang, it was yet another difficult story and another departure from the business. We tried to recover this September, hope for a really good intake. And then there's this new beast in town called the cost of living crisis. So people are having to choose between will they take their kids to a dance class or will they put food on their table? So around about this autumn, after sort of not really getting the September I'd hoped to have had, I think all of that chunted forwards and and I just came to a complete stop. And, you know, years of resilience and I've, you know, I have have had a number of scenarios over the years I've had to deal with. And I've, I've always maintained a very motivated, very positive, really worked on things kind of frame of mind. It just felt like there was an epic mountain in front of me and I didn't have the strength and energy to climb it anymore. And I just I just stopped. I, I had to check in with myself and say, Do you know, what? I am not OK. Um, luckily, I've got a good, strong admin team. And I, I said to my operations manager, I'm stepping out of the business. I'm going to step out for a, for a whole month. I'm going to work on me. Um, and in that time, I had to ask a lot of questions of, of, of myself and whether I wanted to be doing what I was doing any longer. And there was a great deal of overthinking went on in that. And it wasn't until I sort of realized that I was going around and around, taking the problems of the past, pushing them into the now. And instead of kind of future forward thinking, I was past reality catastrophizing that I I sort of, you know, at the end of my period of reflection, and I, I'm not going to say it was an overnight alteration, I kind of pinged back and went, I'm ready, let's go. It's been a really real slow burner in the sort of, you know, the time that's led us from the autumn to now, the summer of 23. So we're just sort of six, seven months on from this. When now I feel I've got that excitement, that fire in my belly again, because, you know, I realised that there's still an awful lot of people out there that I can bring my product and service to. I have to kind of be agile in my thinking now about who to who to target and what kind of level of service to offer and to whom. And there's things I can do. But for me, when the uh, when the world stopped and I found I wasn't sleeping, I wasn't eating too well, I was really struggling just to get day to day tasks done. I found a technique, which again, I'm going to refer back to your Pomodoro technique of last week with your little timer um, for your for your motivational segments of work. I set a timer for two minutes, um, a tangible timer that I can physically touch. It feels like it's real. Set that timer for two minutes and I can worry all I like in those two minutes. It's free worry time. Compartmentalize it into two minutes. When that timer goes off, I have three questions that I ask of myself. One, in that time, have I learned anything new? Two, has the situation and my anxiety reduced at all during that period of worry? And three, do I feel like I'm closer to a solution? 
if I can answer to yes to one of those, then I can continue because I'm in proactive thought and I'm making progress forwards. But if I can't answer yes to any of those, then I'm in I'm in overthinking. So then I I respond by changing my my uh, physical location. I'll go somewhere else in the house. I have a drink. I'll go out for a walk if I can. I'll just do something physically different. And similarly, if that worry is at night, I have a 15 minute rule. If I'm not asleep in 15 minutes, I get up, make a hot drink, change my scenario, read for a bit until sleep comes. So I'm, I'm well versed at having to navigate my own head as well as a business and just general day to day life challenges that don't stop just because you've got a lot on. And I suppose to bring it back into the context of FI, you know, you've got your exams, you've got difficulties, you've got worries, perhaps you're doing a reset, perhaps you're doing it for the second or third time. You've still got your everyday life going on. You've still got all of these different things that you have to contend with. You need to, to kind of give yourself a little safety net, a little, you know, a little moment to address those concerns, ignoring them won't won't do anything either but but just accept that you can change what you can change and you can't change what you can't change so put it in a little bubble give it a couple of minutes if you're not moving forwards park it um it's not an easy skill but it's one that's well worth practicing um i've certainly got better at it over the time i've been doing it and you see that with students as well with revision don't you where they almost start overthinking their revision it gets to a point where it then becomes counterintuitive because you almost work yourself up going, oh, I can't do this. No, I can't do that area. And you start, oh, why can't I do it? And it's sort of, you start then just overthinking these concerns that you've got around this exam that still might be a month away, two months away sometimes. And it's making sure that the time that you are spending is, is productive and kind of knowing when that productivity stops or is working against you. You got anything further to add there, Dave? Around, I know I've certainly been there and seen other people there when it comes to overthinking that revision. So you get started, but then you do too much, and you start then coming across those roadblocks, and then you overthink those roadblocks, and and then it all just starts spiraling down to where it's been counter counterproductive. That's when you should say, right, let's walk away now, let's have a break, let's change this up. What can I do differently? There's there's two things there. There's there's one the approach revision where you're right, you can focus so much on those things you can't do. And sometimes those things you can't do, you build up to be huge when the reality is it's one little bit that you can't do. So I've heard people in the past that said, oh, I can't do corporate tax. Can't do anything to do with corporation tax. And said, well, I really don't get marginal relief. Okay, what is it about marginal relief that you don't get? I can't do the calculation. So it comes down to they can't do a single calculation, which is going to be, well, in current exams, it doesn't exist. In the next couple of years, it will come back. And that's maybe two marks in the exam. But you've written off that entire area of the syllabus because you can't do that single calculation and really building up in something really big. And then the other one I hear is where people go into an exam or a mock exam or a practice question. They read the question. Then they always say, I really overthought it and thought the question was more complicated mm-hmm. than it actually was. So how can we overcome that? Because sometimes it's case they know the stuff, they can do the question, but they think the question is something more difficult than it actually is. So have you got any advice there, Kelly, about how you read those questions so you don't overthink them? I think the first thing that comes to mind is, does that not come down to preparation, though? 
because actually if you've done the right preparation you a have the knowledge to be mm -hmm. able to apply it in a number of different situations and b you've probably done extensive question practice mm -hmm. so if you know the syllabus and you've done the practice of how it's come up previously or you know obviously exam standard questions don't get to see a lot of the past exams now but from the syllabus you know so we can make we can make questions up and you know I'm sure any student who's studying is going to have some high quality material even if it's not from us you know there are you're going to have the access to those questions if you haven't you need to get access to those questions so you become more familiar and used to it um, I would also be making sure that I know the verbs. I think there's a whole separate podcast that you've done on that in the past. Check out the back catalogue as a plug for that. But understanding what the question's actually asking comes from your understanding of what the verb means. Mm -hmm. So you need to be able to go into that exam that actually if it asks you to evaluate a scenario that you know you've got to talk about the advantages, the disadvantages of that if we're talking about a strategy sort of type question maybe the risks and the benefits or opportunities this particular scenario um, brings and then ideally you conclude whereas if it's list that's going to be a very different answer yeah, yeah that episode is has got my favorite title of any episode we put out it's called um you took the verbs right out of my mouth which I think was a brilliant title and it's our most downloaded episode. It's the, the single most popular episode we put together. And it does look at those individual verbs and what they mean. And sometimes when I speak to people about AAT exams in particular, they'll tell me that they really struggle with the written questions. And there might be a question about variance analysis and they ask you to explain the material price variance. And they kind of think, oh, I can only think of two things. And then when you break it down and say, well, how do you calculate a material price variance? Well, it's based on the actual amount of material you purchase. You get a mark for writing that. Oh, do I? I didn't think I'd get a mark for that. And it, there's a, it's amazing how many marks you can pick up for really, really straightforward things. I think everyone wants to go for those prize winner marks to start with without realising there's a wealth of marks that you can get for just listing all of the basics. I would add to that as well, I think, to help some reducing the overthinking is making sure you've looked at examiner's reports so you actually understand where students go wrong, gives you the clues and the insights so perhaps past students have either not had the knowledge or they have overthought it and kind of shot off on, on the wrong tangent. So you can kind of learn a lot from other people's mistakes and all the main institutes will have some kind of examiner's report that you should be able to get. So I, I think sometimes students forget to do that. And that to me would be quite an important part of my preparation. It's all about reducing the risk. Or we could go into a whole risk management question now, couldn't we, Dave? But it's you know it's thinking about you know, what's the probability, what's the impact, what can we do to basically reduce that risk, the risk of overthinking and for me, reducing that risk of overthinking is what controls can I put in place? And that is being able to prepare and doing the right type of revision so that you're in that situation where the mindset is correct, the knowledge is there, and you've you know you you've had that practice of what kind of things the examiner is going to ask you, and being confident enough to say if it is a difficult question, you know, read it a couple of times, just make sure that you have understood what they're asking. And if it is tough, just know that everyone else is going to be thinking it's tough as well. So you know you have done the prep. So break it down as you said, Dave, start with the basics and actually put something down because a blank bit of paper is 100 percent going to give you zero marks. Whereas a paper with some writing on it 
might get you something. Certainly going to get you hopefully more than zero. Anything further to add there, Lucy? I think just uh, you touched on mindset there very briefly. And I think when you approach the exam, there's so there's very long exams. You know, I've set exams that are three, four hours long. Um, and you go into it, you think, oh, I've got to sustain that level of concentration throughout. Um, worse than an exam that feels very long is an exam that suddenly felt like that was very quick. And you haven't really embraced being in the moment of that exam. And then all of a sudden the time is done. You feel like you never really took your moment to get composed and you're not wholly sure what you wrote and if it was the right thing. So I think when you get into that exam and this is something you can practice and you can work on, um, have a little routine for yourself. I mean, I think routines are great because they fall back. I mean, how many times have you driven home and you think, God, how did I get here? Because you're partially on autopilot. You kind of need a little routine that you 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 take yourself through when you get into an exam. I mean, I know I always straighten my page. I, I get my pen and my, my pens out and I place them down and then I open it. I take a few breaths. So I think if you've got a little go to routine that activates, you know, you've got your, you've got your, your sympathetic and your parasympathetic nervous system. So you've got the, the adrenaline that buoys you up, but you also need to counter that some deep breaths activate the other side of your uh, your nervous system that brings you down a little bit calms you grounds you and gets you to focus lots of oxygen to the brain get the neurons firing and then approach it and i think if you have this little set routine because then no matter what comes after it you've always had that anchor point that's the same every time so i know i have little set go-tos and 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 they're you know if nothing else they're a familiarity, even if you're facing novel questions you've not encountered before. It's about trying to put those controls in place, isn't it? Knowing that it's going to be quite natural to overthink things, you know, and it's that, that's going to, that's okay. You can allow those thoughts to come in, but what can we do in preparation? What tools have we got in our in our toolkit to help reduce that risk of the overthinking, taking too much control away from us? And not then being in that in that present moment that we need to be, whether it's in a stressful exam situation, whether it's that job interview, the promotion that you might be going for at work, whether it's dealing with a, a real life you know, business issue or you know, difficulty within the workplace. It's just trying to think what controls can I have in place? I really like that idea of a routine, just reducing your brain going off, starting to overthink things because they're in it's in its set routine. So hopefully reducing that risk. Yeah, Kelly, I just wanted to ask you that as we come to a conclusion tonight, we, I think, within First Tuition, you and I work really well together because I, I will have a crazy idea to do something stupid and then you know how to do those things. And I've seen you on so many occasions where something's been thrown at you and you've suddenly just said, this is how we're going to do it. These are the 12 things that we need to do. And three of them are going to happen over here and someone else is going to do this and I'm going to get this done. And you get on the phone over here and you are amazing at taking a huge idea and exploding it into the tasks that need to get done. Is there any kind of thought process that you go through to break those things down into manageable chunks? Oh, I knew you were going to ask that question. And I, I, I don't know. I think it comes from practice. I think I know the situations that you're talking about, perhaps when regulators come in and there's a, a big, maybe you're not talking about that, but I know that's when I will go into, I'm not people's friend anymore. It's like there's this huge 
deadline looming we've got lots of stuff that we need to do it's really important um and that I, yeah my brain will just go into I've got to get x y and z done now I think for me that is because I do have the knowledge and I've done the prep I understand what needs to happen so again I kind of link that back to exams actually you know that the situation you're talking about like I have spent the time doing the revision if you like of knowing the syllabus of what we're being you know, what the regulators would be looking for so I think that makes a massive difference of being able to then problem solve um, and I think knowing who is good at what so knowing my own strengths and weaknesses but in a team situation like that knowing my team well and knowing who's going to be good at what and I, I wish I had a really simple answer for you um Lucy might have something that she can add maybe it's something about what we did at, what we did at school but it just kind of I don't know it just happens because a I care b I've done the prep I'm very passionate about stuff and I I know what I'm good at what I'm not so good at and it's using the team on on the bits to bring up my weaknesses so as a whole team we, we high perform in those situations my objective or my I guess slightly subjective because I've known you for so long but my objective uh, uh observations of you in those situations and sadly after we concluded the podcast last week we realized that we've known each other 30 years not 20 years so that was sad <laughs> we aged ourselves up by 10 years I have a plenty of opportunity to uh see firsthand what Dave's just described and I think it's because you're a how person rather than a why person I think there are some people when a situation arises they'll go to slight catastrophizing of, oh why has this happened why have we got to do this why do the regulators ask all these questions? This is absurd. This is absurd that we have to turn this around this fast. You're not one of those people. You are, and it's a real mindset thing that we can all definitely learn from and try to emulate. You're a how person. Situation comes in, how are we going to deal with this? It's very step-by-step. Step. It's a bit like approaching a recipe. You know, if you're baking a cake, you, you've got to start by getting a bowl out. And, and that's you you start you pick it apart you are how you almost begin I talked last week about knowing your end point and working back from it you start with the end point of right regulators are going to come in to take your example and they're going to be delighted with everything that we're doing because we know we're working by the book how am I going to demonstrate that what steps do I need to get in place and you work backwards from it and um, it is awesome to see and you are really good at it and I think it's a, it's a mindset, it's an approach, and it's organisational thinking, being decisive and um, trusting your own decision making. And then if, you know, a decision, it wasn't quite right, learning from that rapidly and, and moving forward. So, yeah, that's that would be my observations of, of your key skill there. Thank you very much. I suppose it's also a bit of, of kind of the education that we've had as well in terms of that end goal, that end goal had to be high. Mm -hmm. So that exam, it was, you know, and for me, when I went into the exam, it's like the end goal, it's pass. Okay, how am I going to pass that exam? And then breaking it down to what is it that I need to do? And it's, sure it's that, that prep you were talking about. So when when the, the least surprising moment of my life was opening the, a, the envelope with my A-level results in it, because I had done everything 
I needed to do to ensure that I got the grades that I did. I, I left no stone unturned. I probably knew that syllabus better than the examiners did. I got a copy of the syllabus. I looked at what the exam requirements would be. And then I made sure I understood every single element of it and could answer questions on it competently. It was all in the preparation. And like we said last week, if you if you prepare positively for the right outcome, then there are no surprises. It's just about following a plan. Um, and I think that was our education. Like, I hope they don't listen back to this, you know, because I think they've been, you know, it wasn't some kind of cult that we were indoctrinated into. It was just, we were, it was the 90s and we had an extremely strong female head teacher who in, a, in a, an all girls school, really broke down the barriers of of like you can do anything it's going to be excellent though because we really need those a's <laughs> you know so um uh ingrained into us we were we were uh but we you know we were successful because of it and then we've yeah. learned to uh moderate ourselves a little as we've gone on yeah but you see that with students as well they'll come out the exam going oh, a question came up, oh, it, was, it wasn't in the notes or I, I didn't see a question on it. And it's like, actually, if you take, if you look at AAT, in our notes, you've got the, the learning outcomes, the le- which is basically the syllabus. You need to take those couple of sheets that are at the beginning of an FI set of course notes, if you're using other material, basically get that syllabus, get those learning outcomes. And you need to be able to say objectively to yourself that actually I do understand each of those things that they are asking because they are only allowed to test from that syllabus. Yeah, and then you shouldn't need to overthink. There should be no, there should be no overthinking about what's gonna come up in the exam. There is a syllabus, there is a learning outcome. So that's the succinct, uh, nice uh, conclusion is don't overthink you don't need to <laughs> just prepare and then you won't need to do it <laughs> anything to wrap us up on Dave I was going to say sometimes it's just the preparation though that is the thing that we overthink on is that mm-hmm. it's great to say oh don't overthink the exam when it's the syllabus very and true I think using the skills that you have Kelly to break down those big tasks into smaller manageable tasks and planning how you do them is really, really important. And something that I, I tend to think of is that there are, there are chapters in a textbook for a reason. You, you shouldn't look at the entire syllabus holistically in one go. You look at chapter one first and you start chapter one by looking at page one. All you need to do to start with is go through page one and go through the information on page one and any questions that are on it. And then after that, you look at page two. So instead of kind of thinking of it as this, this massive thing that I've got to get through, think of it as little tiny bites that you've got to get through. And you'd be amazed at how quickly you get through something if you start it just a little bit at a time. And if you eat Toblerone along the way. <laughs> With our advanced tax syllabus, you would need all the Toblerone in the world, I think, too. <laughs> I'd be yeah. good with that. <laughs> Asa, well, I think we're just about at the end of our time, and I think we're 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 gradually eating into Lucy and Kelly the rest of your evening. So I think it's about time to to wrap up the session for this evening. I'd like to thank you both for spending your evenings with me. It's been brilliant. Thank you to the audience that are here live today. Again, thank you for the comments that you've left. They've been really, really great. And thanks to everyone that's been listening. So thank you if you're downloaded and you're listening, if you're 
walking your dog, if you're going for a run, if you're in the bath, wherever you listen, wherever you are in the world, we are really, really grateful that you take the time to download and listen. If you do get the opportunity, could you leave a, um, a bit of feedback on whatever podcast server you use or leave a rating or just share it with someone else that you think will get benefit from it. But until next time, stay safe and happy studying. Thank you.